listening to Draws in Spanish. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. I'm so excited to have you. I'm your host, Fabiola Lara. I'm an illustrator and podcaster based in Philadelphia. And on this show, Draws in Spanish, I chat with Latinx visual artists and designers to discuss everything from their identity and culture to their creative process and work. Today on the show, I'm talking to Egyptian and Cuban street artist Simone Salib. Simone is a Philadelphia-based artist that I connected with here, and I'm so excited to be bringing you this conversation because her entire vibe is so positive, and it just really, like, I don't know, it really, like, gave me, like, a positive mindset shift to talk to her, so I think you're really gonna like this conversation. Now, through acrylic paint and illustration, Simone works to highlight the lives of people with an emphasis on Black, Indigenous people of color across Philadelphia since 2017. She focuses on vibrantly sharing the stories of people in hopes we can connect and resonate with humans who are different from ourselves. She strives to spread joy and create a space where people are not only seen, but heard. Aside from her mural work, Simone is also an educator who often hosts workshops and collaborates with students throughout Philly to teach them about mural arts and also what it's like to be a modern day artist. Before we get started, remember that you can also watch this episode over on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com slash Fabiolita Draws. I said it with like my most English accent, so it's easy to understand to watch this episode. I'm going to leave it in the show notes. So if you just open up those show notes, you can click over to watch it on YouTube. Plus, remember, you can join the free Draws in Spanish Discord to connect with other Latinx artists so we can all chat. And we also have Thursday co-working sessions where we all meet up to hold each other accountable and get some work done. So if you want to be a part of those, just go to drawsinspanish.com slash chat and you can drop your email and get the link to join the Discord. You can also join by clicking the link in the show notes. Honestly, the show notes has everything, but I'm just giving you the links in case, you know, just want to type it in. Keep on listening to discover how Simone unexpectedly became an artist, her debut street art creation, and learn more about her mural preparation process in case you want to get into mural making yourself. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Let's go. Hey, Simone. Welcome to Draws in Spanish. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's so good to be here. I've been watching what you've been doing on the internet for a long time. So it feels very cute and very surreal to get to be on here myself. Yay. I'm so stoked for this conversation because we've chatted, but I feel like here on the show, I tend to get a little bit deeper, get a little bit more in the weeds. And so it's like I get to even learn more about you personally, aside from everyone listening. Because right now it feels like it's just you and me, but then there's listeners mm-hmm. on the other side eventually. <laughs> hey, y'all. Yeah. Hello, guys. The first thing I want to ask you about before we get started is, can you tell me a little bit about your cultural background? Because I know you're Cuban and Egyptian, and that's not a combo that I've seen very often. So please tell me about this. Yeah. Um, so honestly, it's not a combo that I see very often either. Um, I'm first gen. My mom is Cuban and my dad is Egyptian. And I feel like I am very a third culture, a child of like the third culture, a child of the diaspora. And I think it has really influenced so much of who I am as a person, I would say. What was it like? Or I guess the question is like, fill me in a little bit on what it was like growing up in this bicultural households and from my understanding I don't know if 
Cuban culture and Egyptian culture has too much overlap. Mm-hmm. I'm not that, you know, well versed <laughs> in both enough to know that. So I'm like, you tell me what's going on there. How was that like growing up in this in this house that already is bicultural? Because for me, my house was Chile and then the outside wor- world was the US. For you, you had this clashing of cultures, I'm assuming, in your house and then outside of your house, it's like another culture. Absolutely. I would say uh, being someone that I think like both of these cultures are both like so rich and deep. Um, I think that they are pretty different. But at the same time, there are definitely some parts where like things like overlap in a way that like when I was younger, I didn't really understand like in the ways they overlapped. I think I was just like experiencing what I was experiencing of like, I would say like, especially like food wise, I think so much in that direction first, but like, um, like so many things that are Cuban are like rice based, like hungry and whatnot. And then like so many Egyptian foods are also like rice and meat based. Um, I would say like in like Egyptian culture, there's like a lot more like pita and other things and like a lot more like nuts. Um, But I think even in like a familial sense, like I think like my Egyptian side is like very like loud, a very like honestly, very like Egypt is such a place of like rich, like art culture, like so much like music and movies and visual art, too. And I think like to see how those things like play with each other are really beautiful. Also. It's really, I I don't speak Spanish fluently and I don't speak Arabic fluently. And it's like very interesting to like have, and my mom only speaks Spanish and English and my dad only speaks Spanish. I mean, oh my gosh, English and Arabic. And like, um, so their common language is English. So like, like my dad has an accent, like my whole life. That's like super thick. He didn't move here till he was like 30, you know? And like, I think like me not understanding sometimes the in-between of like, especially because Arabic and Spanish are so similar. Like. Look at me when I say that I would be confused over like which is which like a bosa in Arabic is a kiss. A beso in in Spanish is a kiss. And I would be like, I don't know which one goes to which, but I know that they are what they are. You know what I mean? Wow, that's tough. Yeah. Did you feel like uh, when you were growing up, you tried like did your parents try to teach you either language? Because I feel like that must have been confusing. Yeah. Even as a child, right? Trying yeah. to learn three languages essentially yeah I think my mom was better at it than my dad was I think my dad's not a great teacher if I'm being honest he's uh he gets I think pretty frustrated pretty quickly but (laughs) my mom like she would talk to us in Spanish and like I feel like this was also a thing that I grew up with where I'm like my mom would talk to me in Spanish and I would think that like I knew a secret language that no one else knew and that like I grew up in this space when I was like really younger that was like pretty white and there wasn't like a lot of like Latina people so I would be like oh no that's a hamon sandwich. Or like even on like Three Kings Day, like I would be like, I know Santa's not real, but I know I'm not supposed to say that here. But I know the real ones are the Three Kings. I'm and I'm like, Simone, like, you're I still on another level here. No, I th- and I'm like, you are so silly. But yeah. Yeah, I so, mean, that's just tr- like, you know, kid, kid logic. So it makes a lot of truth. Mm-hmm. But okay, so your mom was was probably teaching you a little bit more Spanish from what Absolutely. I'm hearing. I want to know more about this that you're saying about um, growing up in uh, a white neighborhood or white area. Where did you grow up? I don't actually know. And just give give us some details there, because I think that plus what's going on in your house culturally is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say, so I grew up in Jackson, New Jersey. Well, like most of my life, I lived there from like second grade until 
I went to college and, uh, it was definitely not a diverse space. Jackson is like central New Jersey. Um, the only thing there really is like a six flags, great adventure. Um, there's like not really like a lot of cultural food anywhere. Um, and I, yeah, I just like did not grow up in a, like I grew up, I grew up, uh, being Coptic Orthodox. So like, which is like to be Egyptian and Christian. So I grew up a lot, a lot around a lot more Egyptian folks, but the only like Latina people I used to really see were like my mom's family and like my cousins. And I have a super big family, but other than that, like I didn't really grow up like with people around me like that in my everyday, other than like my actual family. Whoa. So like, were you always proud of your culture or did you feel like you were trying to fit in more? Cause I know like when you're in, uh, just a school that's more white or just trying to fit in with your peers, that can kind of be of conflict, like what you have going on at home versus what you're experiencing kind of like in your own little private life as a kid. Yeah. I would say that when I was like really younger, I like didn't really like know how to have that that discernment if I'm being honest. And I think I like, honestly, I was pretty quiet up until, especially like in school and stuff until probably I was like 13 or like when I was like in eighth grade, I feel like, so my full name is actually Anna Simone and like nobody calls me that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember when I was in eighth grade, I had a moment where I was like, I'm going to go by Simone. And I was like, my family always called me Simone at home, but like I feel like that's when I kind of had a shift and I feel like I started to become more comfortable in who I was and like being like, like actually like talking about like my life and like maybe being like choosing to like kind of be vulnerable, but even still that not really, you know? And then I feel like it wasn't until I, I was like really in college that I feel like I could be like, so like honest and upfront about who I was unapologetically in a way that like actually felt like affirming and felt good. And like, I think I've been like living that way since. And it's a much happier space to be in, but also I have so much more autonomy to surround myself with people that like, I feel like seen by. Definitely. Definitely. I think that's like the key part of adulthood is you can finally have some control to like who you are and how you present yourself. What do you think inspired that like shift from mm -hmm. being like quiet and more reserved to being more yourself, let's say? Um, I would say I had a pretty good friend back then that I think like was so full of like, she's also Dominican now that I think about it. And I feel like we like, we really just like so effortlessly clicked. And I think like, that was like something I hadn't really felt in friendship before that. And I think she like really encouraged me to be someone like that was like more firm in who I was. And I kind of just like ran with that. And then like, I remember people in school even once was like in like eighth grade who like, Oh, did you just move here? And I was like, no, I was just quiet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is crazy. I know. Isn't that silly? You had like a glow up. We were like, Oh, who are you? Which is like, yeah. Funny. In middle but you school, were there the whole the worst time, time, right? You didn't yeah. Move I was just, I was just chilling. <laughs> That's amazing. Do you think like, um, do you think religion played any part of this because i'm wondering i know cuban is a very catholic country yeah. egypt is uh there's islam and mm -hmm. I, i'm always like fearful of saying it wrong so that's why i'm like no no you're fine but um was there any religious mm, i don't know challenges within yourself growing up so um i would say religion definitely plays 
like a part in like who I am. I'm not someone who like identifies as being like religious, like in my life now at 30, I would say I'm a pretty spiritual person. I feel like I really trust like intuition. And like, for me, I'm more like a person that is like character based and like, honestly, like kindness and like love based, like so much of what I do is rooted in care. I actually did not grow up Muslim. I grew up Coptic. So in Egypt, they feel like it's like most people, majority of people are Muslim. And then like, there's also a lot of people who are Coptic Orthodox, which is like to be Christian, but be like Egyptian. It's like, um, that's a minority. I was like doing some research. It's like a very small percentage. I think I saw like 3%. So I'm like, literally, yeah, so small. And so with that being said, when my dad immigrated from Egypt to the US, like he like didn't find a Coptic church, but he found like a Christian church, like a Catholic church that my abuelo used to like, be like, really involved in and like was the head of the community. So like my dad started going to this church with primarily Cuban folks, this Egyptian dude, the only one and like goes there and like it is honestly pretty similar to like Catholicism in a lot of ways. Like it's still like the Bible and like sacraments and like the 10 commandments. And like, they say that our father, it's just like literally in a different language. It's like people who are like Greek Orthodox or like Armenian Orthodox, same thing, but like being Egyptian and like, sometimes that blows my mind that he did that. And like, he actually like lived at my grandparents' house and that's how my mom and him ended up meeting. But so like that, like, I would say definitely informed like my upbringing um do I practice that anymore no I think culturally it is really um so present in my life but like more just I think on like a human level yeah because I think there's some things I don't fuck with if I'm being honest and I'm like I'm like I think we should all have the freedom to be who we are and like also with what I was saying of being rooted in care I'm like we should like give people that freedom to like exist how they want to exist present how they want to present and like move without judgment you know yeah yeah, yeah. and and catholicism can be quite judgmental as a, yeah as a and i'm freaking good i'm, yeah. I'm, I'm okay yeah, yeah, yeah. did you have a lot of egyptian family around you no they also all live like in egypt so my mom's family was the only ones that was around i also grew up having a lot of cousins like i have like I went to Cuba a few years ago with my cousin Cassidy. We had reconnected after not seeing each other for like 10 years or something. And uh, when we were there, we were like honestly kind of using it as like, a. I feel like Cassidy and I both were trying to be like family historians while we were there and like documenting everything we could and like running around and like literally being like, do you think this was Abuela's house? What about this one? We were like, <laughs> literally standing outside of places like, little you know what's in this neighborhood? Yeah. Um, and uh, when we were there, we counted all of how many cousins we have on my on our mom's side, and we have like fifty two. And I think there's more since then because that was like years ago. But um, yeah, I think it's like really been really beautiful as like a grown person to like reconnect with cousins of mine because there's so many of us. Like you know what I mean? Like sometimes it's like hard to like get that deep with people that like. I don't know. You have like a like little connection with. Yeah. Yeah. I like think about how we used to like play pretty, pretty princess. We were little and we used to get into fights because maybe I was like the annoying cousin or something. You know what I mean? And I'm like, now we're like grown and like we both love SZA and like we both like have the same values. And like, I think that like sometimes does come from like the way we're brought up, you know? And I think it's beautiful to like re-choose to decide to like, like love people, your family members with on like a friendship level. I think that is so beautiful. Wow. And I feel like that's really, that's kind of a really innovative way to think about it because I think a lot of Hispanic, Latin, whatever culture is rooted in like family is blood. And like, no matter what you are, you are with them for life and you have to love them for life. And 
I feel like what you're saying is you could, and you could get even closer to them and be friends, genuine friends with them instead of just being like, yeah, that's my cousin automatic invite to, you know, you have to. So how do you feel about that? Do you feel like you've redefined that for yourself? Um, I would say absolutely. I'm a person that I'm like, I think that above all, like respect is like extremely important. And I would say if we're both not mutually like participating in a relationship and not respecting each other, then like, I'm okay to not participate. If I'm being honest, I don't have to tell you things about my life. I don't have to be close with you. Like it is a privilege to share space with each other and be in relationship with each other. And I want to love you and I can love you, but also if I have to love you from afar because of how you're going to be, that's going to be what it is. Ooh, that's revolutionary. I mean, I also subscribe to that very deeply, but I think that it's not status quo for a lot of people, not even, not even in, in all culture, right? It's like family's always sacred, but I think even in Latin culture, it can be toxically so, you know, like call your grandpa because he's your grandpa. It's like, bro, I, I don't talk to him. (laughs) We're not close. I couldn't agree more. And I think like, I feel this way, like even in like my friendships and whatnot too, but like And I have a lot of friends who are like a Latina that like also struggle with this. And I think like, I don't know, I think there needs to be more nuance and more conversation about it, to be honest, because like respect is a two way street. And I want to say that I want to leave with respect always in all relationships I have because I love you. But also that comes with also like maybe sometimes having to hold you accountable and be like, hey, maybe that thing you did was like not cool. Or like I told you that I wasn't chill with this and you did it anyways. This is how I feel. If you do it again, like we're not going to be good. Like I'm not mutual respect because I think a lot of times too an extended family and stuff like that, like, uh, yeah, people can be rude, people can be dismissive, people can be disrespectful, and there's like this default of like, well, you still have to like make up and be nice, and it's like, do we though? Can we just be like high and by kind of Mm -hmm. relatives? So I feel like I'm also not fake. I'm never gonna be a fake person with you. Like I'm, I'm never gonna disrespect you, and also. I'm not going to act like I'm going to tell you anything about my life, though. Like, no. Mutual understanding here. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I feel like I feel like, like, it is a privilege to be in relationship with people. It really is. And like, like, that comes with like all the hard parts of it as well. And I think there's also like a lack of accountability sometimes within like, like Latina culture and like, uh, oh, no, no, no. Like this person's the man of the house or like, oh, that's your uncle. Like, we don't do that. And I'm like, I'm good. Like, that's not, that's not really, I think like. Being my uncle is not a position of power. Like, no. (laughs) Also, I think we should all be challenging these things with our parents a little bit. I think like to have conversation about that or like our older family members and older generations. Like, like if we're talking, like, I don't know about you, but I feel like it was so drilled into my head that I must like respect my elders. And I really do feel like I should. Yeah. yeah. And I, I actually really do think that we should respect our elders, but also like, are we not respecting the younger generation of like what's happening? Are we not talking about like the involvement of like language and like relationships and like, how are we choosing to do that? You know what I mean? Cause like, like I don't have kids. I don't know if I'm going to have kids, but if I did, I would want to hope that like those were conversations I was also having with them. Yeah. It's also like, just because let's say continuing on like the head of the household being the grandpa, what if the grandpa has like really uncool like opinions about something like do we have to automatically respect that because we are suddenly at his barbecue but like what he said was not 
chill at all you know it's like these things are often i think in in latina culture like um you kind of have to like breeze by it and you have to kind of just be like okay because that's otherwise you're the problem <laughs> you're the oh problem but it's like no grandpa grandpa is the problem grandpa <laughs> cheats on everyone grandpa was a bad guy for quite some time you know like now we he's 80 and we pretend like he's cool but like this guy did some damage you know that's um historically been my experience (laughs) you know or like mujeriegos or just like womanizers like these things are ingrained and unless you stop it who's gonna stop it you know that's what I'm saying. And I think like the idea that I think like women should like be quiet and docile or like submissive. I'm just not into that. I've never been into that. I'm never I hate going to it. be into that. I hate it. I'm not going to do that. I also wanted to ask you, what is your current relationship with your Cuban identity? Mm. Like, what do you feel more pulled to as someone mm. who's Cuban, Egyptian and American? Hey, it's me here to remind you that you can listen or watch an extra long version of this conversation with Simone by joining the Draws in Spanish Patreon. On the Patreon, I share extended podcast episodes of all the episodes in season two, as well as ad-free episodes so you never have to hear this. Plus, you get that amazing feeling that comes with knowing you're supporting this little show. So head to patreon.com slash draws in Spanish to become a patron and check out all the Patreon perks. Thanks again. Now let's get back into the episode. I think it can feel complicated sometimes, but I'm also a person that has like, I think because I always felt a little bit misunderstood culturally, I had never felt the need to like have a label about something or felt confined to a box. I feel really like solid in my identity from being honest. I think there's also a lot of spaces where I like didn't feel like Cuban enough or I like didn't feel Egyptian enough. And like, I'm not gonna like be in some weird tug of war of like feeling like neither when I am like so inherently both. Um, And I think it's deep rooted. I think it's also evolved in time for me as like a person who's like 30 now. I I come from like a space of such privilege of growing up in the U.S. Even like we didn't have a lot, like we had like basic necessities always, you know, and like understanding the nuance in that as well. And like, like I can claim my Cuban heritage as much as I want, but I'm also like, I, I, I know that I didn't grow up there. Yeah. So like the struggle is completely different. Yeah, it is really different. And I like, like, I feel like the acknowledgement is so necessary. No, I fully, fully feel that it's a wonderful place to be now, but it's uh, kind of like takes this a long journey to self-identity to get to that spot. Absolutely. I feel like it's a lot of self-doubt and a lot yeah. of like, what is the actual truth? And I'm like, does it, there, does there need to be an absolute truth? I feel like I get so stuck personally in like black and white thinking or like binary thinking. And I'm like, I try to like challenge myself as much as I can to be like, is this, does this have to be the end all be all? Yeah. I think when it comes to having like a bicultural identity, it's a lot of just accepting the gray area. Cause you're, you're not absolutely either. Mm, I feel like my whole life is like accepting the gray area. Oh my gosh. That is, that is, oh, that's crazy to think about. Like what? I want to know now. You're having breakthroughs? Like what? I don't know. I think just like even like with my queer identity, I feel like like things like that. I feel like there's like or like even just like I don't know. I think there's so many so many directions of that that I really like can identify with. I don't know. I'm going to think about this more. I want to make an art piece about this. This is a good idea. I'm sure it'll come up as we keep on talking. Yes. Yes. I also 
want to talk about how you're an artist because I know we just spent like half an hour talking about about you <laughs> deep cultural embodiment but mm-hmm. um would you say you were always creative growing up what was kind of your relationship to creativity before becoming a professional artist um so I have always been someone that loves art like like since I'm little, I think, I think it's really cute to like reflect on things from like my like formative years and be like, Oh, I like love this. Or even thinking about like when I like used to be on Tumblr of all the things I used to like reblog or like when I would go somewhere, like go to the city and then I would be like, Oh, I love all this street art. This is so cool. And like my whole phone would be like full of like street art pictures. Um, but, uh, yeah, I never knew that like being an artist could be something that I could do like full time. I definitely came from a space of like, oh, the only respectful jobs to have are a doctor or a lawyer or a pharmacist or dentist. You know what I mean? And I'm like, pharmacist. you know what I mean? My brother was a pharmacist. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, yo, like, I don't like, I think that was really ingrained into my head in a way that it's like, you're not shit. If you're not one of those jobs, you're like, you're a bum. You're not doing anything. And like, I am such a hard worker. I have had like two jobs since I'm like 15, like my whole life, you know? And I think I also have been someone that's always loved art and like, just like never thought that that could be something I could take seriously. Like even in college, like I didn't go to school for art. I went to school for communication studies and public relations. And I was doing anything I could to be in the art department. I was looking for every student like worker job to work in the gallery. And I like got it because I was like, I want to be around these people. Like these are the people I want to be with. And I'm like, but I like wouldn't let myself fully do it. I wasn't also even like really making things back then because I was so intimidated. And I was like, oh my gosh, or like, are, like, do I even have ideas? Like, what? How do I even execute these? Like, what? Like, what am I? What am I doing? You know? And so it was like for a while, all my friends were artists, and I wasn't making any art. And I was like, okay, I love this. I'm like getting emotional because I'm just like, I feel like everyone can relate to that experience of like, or I'm just gonna say everyone listening to the show at least, um, just because it's so common to see like that where you're like being an artist is just not on the table. Like it is not a title that exists in my mind. So what can I do to be closer to art? And you're literally doing everything that's basically being an artist minus daring to be an artist. Right. Cause that's so risky. Oh um, yeah. And I, I, I had that path myself. So I fully relate. Um, do you remember a time where you were discouraged from being an artist or anything like that? Or was it like a vague undertone or look of discouragement? I don't remember the exact moment, but I do remember that. Like, so when I first, like, when I first, I, even when I first moved to Philly, I wasn't really making art like that. It wasn't until like 2017 that I decided to like throw myself into it like fully. Um, and I like did this like whole series of a bunch of portraits. And at this point, like a lot of the friends I had in the city were also some people I went to college with at Rowan in New Jersey and like had moved to the city at this point. And they like a lot of them are graphic designers. A lot of them are like doing different kind of work within the art field. And I was like, I'm going to start doing street art. And they were like, why? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to just like put, I'm going to learn how to we paste. I'm going to do it. And they were like, and no one's going to pay you. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm just going to do because I want to try. And they were like, I don't know. I feel like some people would allude to this idea that like, oh, like if you're not like being paid to do it, why would you waste your time doing it? I'm like, cause I want to do it. And also they're like, yeah. So I feel like I was like, spirit of creativity. No, it's not. You shouldn't do it for free for other people, but for free for yourself. A hundred percent. Exactly. So I just kind of like decided to run with it. And I feel like that's when things became so like freeing to me of being like, this is awesome. And this is incredible. And like, I wasn't getting paid to do it for a really long time. And it used to make me like really, really happy. And like, I find so much peace in like painting 
like and I feel like I forget that sometimes because like it's my full-time job now can you tell me why you ended up picking communications because at some point you were like "Mm, looking through this actually I'm saying looking at this website where you can pick your major and you were like do 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 communications and (laughs) I feel like I get that because I picked advertising which I didn't know was even a thing that I could select until the moment came that I was like oh crap I need to like pick something so how did you come to that because I feel like you were creative before going to college so fill that in for me Um, I'm not gonna lie originally with a bio major like I was saying I had to have a job in the STEM field is what I thought I had to do um something I'm really bad at I don't know if you know this is math I'm horrible at math (laughs) I had to take a pre-calc class to like get through to like get actually into the classes um and I was horrible at it and my teacher was so incredibly mean and not patient and like And like, I think actually 75% of the class was failing something crazy. And he looked at us and was like, you guys are the dumbest class I've ever had. Um, if you don't do good on this test, you should drop this class literally right now. And I think I got like a D and I tried so hard and I was like, I think I have to switch my major. I can't pass pre-calc and I can't take this class again. I don't know what to do. So then I was like, I need to figure out something else. And then I was like, I'm just going to go this way instead. So then I got two majors in communication studies and one in communication studies and one in public relations instead, because I could do that. And I was like, Simone, you just need to graduate and leave. You just need to do it. And you know what you will do? You will always figure out a job because you are the most pragmatic person in the world. And here you are. With a, here I am. With self-employed, which is like the hardest job, <laughs> I think, sometimes. Um, Say that. Yeah. So, wow. I I can't believe that because Simone, I too was a biology major. <laughs> <laughs> I was a microbiology major and I also took pre-calc and I do think the class was failing majorly. Um, I got a D on my first test, much like you. That's why I'm sharing this. I got a D on my first test. I vividly remember that. I was like, it was my first semester of college. I was like, I'm, I'm done. Like I thought I was smart. I'm a good student. How did I fail so bad? How did I just bomb? Like I've never bombed before. Thankfully I did turn things around. And my highest GPA was when I was a microbio major, which I did for like two years. And then I switched. I was Mm. like, I I had the epiphany of I don't want to be in STEM. (laughs) Like I don't want boring job after boring job after boring job. I didn't want it. So I chose something else. But I love that we both had that similar trajectory of going for the safe thing, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people on this podcast have talked about. (sighs) And I think even the safest creative thing is like graphic design. (laughs) You're right. <laughs> like, no, hey, I love graphic design. It's a very, I would go back to school for graphic design if I felt like it. So I'm like, yeah, that's, it's so practical. Um, and this is like such a funny path that so many people take because your family's like practical, practical, practical. And you know what's crazy? I am such a practical and efficient person in every single aspect of my life. Like, my friends like make fun of me for it. And also, I now date somebody who is the most practical person in the world as well and I feel so seen I'm like I love this this is so cute to me you mentioned a little bit earlier that you decided to get into street art just for fun because it was something that you noticed and you wanted to be a part of did it not intimidate you knowing that Philly is a mural capital of the U.S. with like almost 4,000 murals in the city like how did you start with or without feeling intimidated So I think this is what's so freeing to me about art. Like, 
originally I was making paintings like in my house and I was trying to be in gallery shows, which was like my MO. I was like, I'm trying to be in this gallery, trying to be in that gallery. And then I'm like realizing, I was like, what happens if my work doesn't sell? I'm just like collecting these giant paintings and I'm going to like collect dust in my basement and I'm okay. I don't want that. I was like, if I make something and put it out in the street, people will still see it. People will engage with it, which for me felt like more important than actually maybe someone buying it, even though I would like to be paid. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I was like, I just want people to engage with it. So I was like, I'm going to put things outside. And when I started making things without the intention of it having to be sold, but for it to be like viewed with like pleasure, you know what I mean? I was really running in a different direction. Can you tell me about the first one you did? How do you feel about it? Let's look back. Is there a photo? I will find it on your Instagram if it's there. Um, I actually don't know if there's a photo of it on my Instagram. The first street art piece I ever put up uh, was out of being petty, if I'm being honest. I was being pretty petty. This is... Um, I like that as a source of inspo. Yeah, I was having a bad time. Honestly, I'm fueled by petty, but not like gonna ever be like really vindictive. That's how you feel. Um, like, okay, so I made this piece. I was feeling really stressed about something that had happened. And I was honestly feeling pretty wronged and betrayed. And I decided to make a piece of art and put it outside as a way to process something. And I think that that's like a really beautiful form of therapy for myself at the time, pre being in therapy personally. And the piece was of an iPhone, which is a little silly. It was an iPhone, like literally imagine when your message is open. And then it had like a little, like, who was it from? And it was like a message from, and it was like the universe. And it was like a picture of like the earth. <laughs> and then it said, um, and it was just like a speech bubble that just said, trust your intuition. It's trying to tell you something for a reason. And I like did this so stupid. I went and put it up in the middle of the night. I called my friend, Sammy. I don't know why I did this. I wore all black. I biked there. We biked together. I was being a sketchball. I could have just did it in the daytime, which is part of my usual practice. Now I wasn't, I was doing way too much. Um, but I put it up and I was like, that was incredible. And then I went home and made like three more. And then I was like, I don't know why I'm making iPhones. I think I need to pivot. (laughs) You were like, "Mm, the iPhone concept is dead. (laughs) It just moved on. But sometimes you have to make that okay art to get to like the better thing. So it's all part of the process. I don't even think it was bad. I think I just like wanted, if someone asked me, why did you do this? I wanted to stand firm in that. And I feel that way about a lot of other things I made. And I was like, I need to like take more time and like really think about this for a second. And then that's when I did. And I like made a whole series after that, that like kind of really like had natural momentum. And I was so excited about. So I feel appreciative for that very silly iPhone I once put at like 13 and Dickinson back in the day. Aw, I... I think that's so cute. That's an adorable story of like, like the sneakiness of it all. Just like not knowing like that is like, it really goes to show like even with a public art form, there's still like a learning curve. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of the time we experience that learning curve, like in our, in the privacy of your own studio. But this one requires a lot of like, public exposing yourself in a sense, right? Because you're doing it outside. Do you have any... um, Words of advice for someone who is a first time wheat paster Mm. thinking about it. Any pro tips you want to share with them so they don't make the same, (laughs) not the same mistakes, but the same, you know, repeat, maybe evolve a little faster, right? Things you wish you would have known. Um, Tips, I would say for early street artists, trust yourself. I would say, first of all, 
I would say I lead with respect for the community. I would never post on someone's house. I would never post on someone's business. That is a big absolute no for me. Um, would I post on a wood board that is on a building that is getting demolished? Absolutely. That's not going to be there forever. And I don't feel any type of way about that or on scraps of like wood and other things around. I would say, just keep my eyes peeled. I would also never in my life on purpose ever post on top of someone's tagged graffiti. Like, I think that's like a general, a general, like disrespect to other artists in a way that like, if you, if they're putting something outside and there is room to the left where there's nothing go over there. Like it's not that big of a deal. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that like, Black and brown people started street art with graffiti, actually in Philly, Philly and the Bronx, both at the same time. And like, those are really important things. Um, so definitely one lead with respect. Number two, um, feel the vibe, go in the daytime. Um, don't do things like be sketchy and wear all black and go in the middle of the night. You're asking to get in trouble. Um, I am not someone that has any like, uh, experience with spray paint. So I like respect so much the people who like really go out there and tag and like do writing and stuff. Um, for wheat paste, have your stuff ready in advance, have your, have your bag ready to go bring a buddy with you. I love the buddy system. I don't really like, go by myself typically. Cause I want like someone to keep watch. Not that I've had any problems like that, but like, and also like we live in Philly where like street art and public art is really, really, really respected. And like more or less, as long as you're not putting something up profane, people are not going to bother you. I've had like, I've had cops literally stop me in the street and be like, that's beautiful. And I'm like, (laughs) we don't want the cops here, but thank you. Uh, Nobody uh, asked you, but all right. Yeah. Mind your business over there. How about that? But, um, yeah. And I would say if you feel like what you're going to share with people is important, trust yourself, go with it. I would say also leave with respect though. I'm not someone that uses like a lot of profanity outside or does things that can like maybe be like abrasive or something. I think I like make things that ask a bigger question. I want to have a moment of critical thinking for other people and for myself, but like I want to put things like out in the public space that enrich the space that like add to it, you know? Yeah. I would also say like, not that it's bad to be profane or to be aggressive with your message, but like is public space the best place for it? Or are you just causing like, chaos into a community that maybe you don't even live in you know what I mean exactly really great tips here Simone so people don't go making fools of themselves couldn't agree more honestly I feel like I lead with respect and don't put anything crazy in the public space particularly for the children I'm like I am a someone I'm an educator I had worked with like younger kids for a long time I literally think kids are the future they are incredible they're so smart and so resilient I only want the best for them and I'm like I agree you can't keep everything from them, but also they don't need to see the crazy stuff. Leave them alone. No, 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 no. They're yeah, little. exactly. They're little. They're Let them like be happy. Like enrich the space. Don't be like making the space now like a place for divisiveness. Yeah, chaos. Absolutely yeah. not. Mm-mm. Time and place. Time and place. I think mm-hmm. that's a go to a protest. You know what I mean? Like do something exactly. else. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful. I'm really glad we touched on this. Now, I also want to ask you more about your education experience and all of that because I know that you lead a lot of workshops you've worked collaboratively on murals with kids so can you tell me a little bit more about why that's an important part of your art practice yeah I would say that um being an educator is a really beautiful part of my art practice in the sense that like I feel like I have a skill and I like know how to do something that has really empowered me. And I think to be able to 
Skillshare with other people, I think especially the youth is really awesome. Even if it's not street art, even if it's like painting, even if it's idea of like murals and whatnot and public art as a whole, I think to be able to like work with kids in schools and be like, Hey, like, like this is like something that I'm self-taught I'm community taught. And like, I learned how to do this thing and it has changed my life and it's been really beautiful and really powerful. And if you think that this is something you're interested in, yo, these are all the things you need to know how to do it yourself. Like you want to do this in your home, in your bedroom, and you think this would be cool. Like, babe, run with it. I want that for you. Like, do you like love art so much and it makes you so happy? Like, I wish that like little tiny baby me had that earlier, you know? And I'm glad I found it in my life when I did. It was like meant to happen when it was supposed to, but like, I wish I had it. Like when I was like 13 or 14, I think I like could have gotten here in a very different way and maybe quicker. And I think that like, would have been really beautiful but also yeah I I yes period for sure Mm -hmm. I just feel like there's so many obviously sharing those skills with students whether they're you know in middle school or teenagers or wherever they are in the education system like just giving them that empowerment uh, and validation of like oh you know what your art is important because you know and I know how it feels like to have it dismissed even if it's like encouraged like oh Simone's creative but like be a doctor like that is really mixed messaging um because I've had a lot of people be like oh my parents were encouraging but then my parents also told me to not do that as a job, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. as a hobby. Yeah. So giving that reassurance and validation to the youth and empowering them so that their art can then be more powerful long term, right? They don't have to go through this whole journey that you and I went through. I totally relate to that. And I feel like it's so useful, especially in a world where arts are co- constantly being defunded. It's mm-hmm. like key. And that's also a reason I made this show was like, I think like you going into those spaces and showing kids what's possible is like eye opening and awakening and being like, oh, you can do that instead of always having instead of always having like a firefighter that comes in and is like, you can be a firefighter or you can, you know, like, okay, great. What about artists? You know, and I totally I love that. I think it's super interesting that you create these murals illustrations portraits about historical figures and activists but then at the same time you can make them about SZA and Bad Bunny is this something that you're actively thinking about kind of um mixing like more so pop culture with historic um themes or is it just like what you're feeling in the moment I would say so when I first started painting I was actually doing like a lot of more pop culture things and then like I had a moment where I was sitting myself down and being like you're never gonna meet these people these people will never know you like yeah they've impacted you but like how are you impacting them you know and I don't think it has to be a two-way street but like I think for me I had a moment of like what to me is like more important. And that's when I like really started making more like community-based work and doing things like painting people like who like actually live in the city or like who I have met, who have inspired me and who are like, cause honestly, I'm an everyday folks kind of person. I'm like regular degular, not to not talk shit, but like, I hope I meet SZA one day, but like, I really doubt that that is like, she's not going to be my best friend. Like she's not going to be a person that I work with in the community. You know what I mean? And like, I would like love to be able if I have the response I feel like as an artist I do actually have a responsibility and I think so much about like storytelling and like narrative and I'm like whose stories are being told and why and like if I have say in that I would love to like be able to talk about people who are actually doing work that like really is incredible and it's so local because I think like 
larger change happens like but it comes from like local change first you know and like I want to be a part of what is happening in my everyday and in my community and like I think that that is really powerful that is not to say that I don't love Bad Bunny and that I don't love SZA those things I made, I made for like funsies because it made me happy. You know what I mean? Cause I'm still a regular person and I loved SOS and I saw bad money at like made in America. And you better believe I was screaming the whole yes. time, yes. you know, but like, I think there's like an understanding you have to have, you know, cause at the end of the day, those are still rich people. Those are still the 1% and we do not like billionaires here. That's Yeah. That's still the elite. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) I love that what you're talking about, because, yeah, we can make fan art for people we know. It doesn't just have to be people we don't know and admire and the elite. It can be, you know, uplifting your friends and putting them on a pedestal for a moment. Something I know you get a lot of creative inspo from food and packaging. You've mentioned that quite a few times already. What do you think about food and packaging and these things makes you so inspired? Like, why do you feel so compelled and gravitate like you're gravitating towards it um I feel some like like I think like I was saying earlier with I how I can like really like dive back into like my culture on my own terms I think the ways that I like to do that are like through like art and through food it feels really affirming to me it makes me feel really happy and I just like try to like chase that as much as I can and I think about like iconic things in my head like like the lechon golden salad cans like I can like see it in my brain from when I'm little with a dumb little saltine cracker that I'm trying to dip in there like and be annoying you know what I mean and like I don't know, like even those like Goya, like like the Maria cookies. I'm like, I see those things and I'm like, oh, my brain could never forget this sight, you know? And I think like as kids of like the diaspora, I think like that can be a really beautiful way to like kind of like move back into it. Also, I'm not going to lie. I have like little tiny dreams, but like I would love to do things that are like maybe like cookbook. That would be so, so cool. Uh, When I want to do something like for job things, I usually like kind of like move in that direction with just like good faith. Usually the best things come from that. So yeah. people can feel that people stuff, can you feel know, that authenticity, that that authentic interest. So I definitely agree with you. Now, Simone, for our last for our last bit of time here, I want to ask you more technical questions about your work as a mural artist, because I think a lot of people who listen, they're like, how do you even get started? How do you approach it? How do you design it? So I'm going to ask you some technical questions here. First off, do you work digitally? Do you work traditionally? Is it a mixture as a mural artist? Walk us through that process a little bit. So for me, um, the process of how I kind of go about things as a muralist is I definitely do things where I digitally render them first. And then I like will like physically make it. With that being said, a lot of times it's like with a client, but also for like my own ease, if I was doing this alone, like I want to be able to show the client, like, this is what I'm making. This is the design. Do you have any edits now before I start painting? Because once I start painting, no mas, like, don't look at me. And if you do, like the, the rate is going up. Like, it's not a joke. Like, that's a lot. I like only use Procreate. I don't even know how to use Photoshop, like, like literally. Um, and I like do all my stuff on Procreate and then I will make it to scale. So if my wall... Let's let's just talk like in regular terms. Like my wall is 10 feet by 10 feet. I'm going to do a one-to-one ratio. So I would do something like on, like for my canvas on Procreate, I would do something in the same realm. Imagine just being 10 inches by 10 inches. So like when I break it down, if I have to grid the wall out, I can like cut it into four equal parts and it will go onto the wall the same way because I often like will project, especially if it's like really large scale. Like 
that will just like speed up your process. You can totally do it by hand. You don't need to have a projector, but for me, definitely makes things quicker. And and time think, is money. Oh, time <laughs> is money. And you know what? I'm going to be the most efficient person in the world. I'm trying to move fast. I'm a fast painter and I'm a fast, like, I think when you're an artist, you have to be quick at your craft. Otherwise you're going to get replaced real quick, which is horrible. And I think that is not the way things should be, but that's the truth. I think you can have two methods of working. Like that's your one, your quick method for your clients. So you're always delivering on time and you're Mm -hmm. able to take on a Mm -hmm. lot of projects. Then with your personal practice, art that you make for yourself, okay, take all the time in the world. But on stuff that you're kind of selling as a service, Mm -hmm. yeah, I do agree that you have to be able to keep time. How long does it take you to paint a mural Um, I think it depends on the size. I think a lot of my work is like a lot of flat color. So the texture is not really there. And when things are like big flat, when things get bigger, they're just big flat blobs. The more simple the design, the easier it will be to paint. And you know what? No one ever told me when I started painting murals. I was like, oh, these things are huge. I'm going to be using a big brush. Wrong. You're still using a tiny brush and you still got to do that in all these spots. I'm like, who knew that giant... 10-foot wall was still going to be painted with the same thing I would paint with if I was doing it on a canvas. Just think about all those things when you're in your design elements. Also, if it looks good from 10 feet away, it's fine. Stop being a perfectionist. My friend Sammy always tells me that. It's a really good tip because I think especially when you're used to working digitally where you can zoom into every pixel, you can get really get caught up in each pixel. Do you think when you have a shorter timeline of like from design, from idea to mural, that you simplify things in order to make it happen? Or like, are you keeping that in mind, keeping the execution timeline in mind when you're designing? I would say it depends on like what I'm doing and also the budget. If I have the money to hire an assistant to help me paint fast and have it be more complicated, then I don't care. But if my client only has X amount of money, I'm like, I'm going to be transparent also. Like, hey, like this is what we're working with. We have to have this done by next week. Like realistically for me to make the design and execute it and have it be done in a way that actually looks clean and good and solid and reads well, this is what we're going to have to do. And usually like they understand that because I was like, I'm not, I'm an artist. I'm not a magician. <laughs> like, That's I right. You know what I mean? Like I, I will, I have a really strong work ethic and I will make sure that whatever you need is done. And if we're gonna have a conversation about it, you know, but also like, if this is what our options are, you gotta know what's happening too. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. That's why I wanted to ask that question. Cause I, I don't want people who are um, new to mural making to kind of sell a really complicated design no. or pitch it to someone for obviously for uh, not enough pay, that's one thing, but also not enough time, right? Oh, now no. you're shooting yeah. yourself in the foot with the actual timeline of the project and being able to deliver on time. Do you prefer to paint on location or uh-huh. paint in your studio and then display it? For me, I love to paint in my studio. I have AC in there. I don't have to worry about the elements. When you're painting on site, you're thinking about a lot of things. What's the weather going to be like? Is it raining? Because I can't go paint that day. And that's going to totally mess up my timeline if I only have X amount of time. You also have to think about like the scale of it. Like in Philly, a lot of people will paint on a thing called mural cloth, which is like almost like it's what it almost feels like what's money money is made out of and that way you're wasting less money on doing things like renting a lift because a lift is really expensive like two grand for the week and you know what i'm not trying to do lose more money on this budget than i have to i'm trying to like come up ba- come back with like the greatest profit and also pay my assistants like a like a wage that is like fair something another technical question here for you 
how do you go about pitching your first mural? Um, I think it's pretty hard, if I'm being honest, to bridge the gap between like doing client work to like trying to do murals and stuff. Um, for me, it was definitely a lot of relationship building and also like talking about it so much of being like, hey, I'm trying to do more permanent work. Like this is like my skill set and kind of building a portfolio. I kind of think went backwards in the way that like I was doing street art and doing really impermanent things so people could like see visually what I was capable of and then understanding that that could translate into something that was permanent. Someone once said at an artist talk that I went to, until you have the option to say no, say yes to everything. I don't know that I would tell everyone that that is the best idea in the world. Did it really work in my favor? And did I work my ass off to make it work? Yeah. And that only like became something that was like more fruitful and more fruitful over time until a space that I could be in now where I'm like, if I really don't want to do this thing or if I don't stand behind it, I'm going to say no. And yeah, because at the end of the day, I was really just trying to pay my rent. I was trying to make art and I'm trying to pay my rent. And I was trying to like have more than just the bare minimum. You know what I mean? Definitely. There's definitely a time where you have to say yes to everything. There's no shame in that. I think sometimes there can no. be some shame around like, um, not being the purest version of yourself, but when you're just starting out, that's kind of the means that you have to take. And that's totally acceptable. Simone, you've gave us so much just knowledge about murals and your craft and where you come from and everything for the last little three questions are just quick ones here. Okay. Mm-hmm. So do you have a favorite Spanish phrase or word or saying that you just gravitate to? Um, I don't have a favorite one that I like say all the time or anything. I would say, I think it's really funny in like Cuban Spanish, how many like little phrases and idioms there are. And I can't remember what the whole thing is, but there's one that's like calabaza, calabaza. It's like pumpkin, pumpkin, go home, everyone. (laughs) And I think it is literally so funny and so silly. And, um, I love it. That's what I have to say about that. Todo para su casa, something like that, right? Literally, yeah. Yeah, something like that. It's coming back to me vaguely. Yes, it's it's really <laughs> cute. So I wanted everyone has like a weird one that they like that just stuck with them. So I was. What's ask yours? About it. For me, one that's coming up right now is like pata sucia, like somebody who's just <laughs> walking around no sandals. I think because it's spring, I'm starting to like notice dirty feet everywhere, and I'm just like not not good. Okay, and then favorite Cuban food? Honestly, I love a guava and cheese pastelito. I'm screaming. I'm so happy. Literally, with a little cafe con leche, I, oh, I'm going to Miami literally in a month, and I am... First stop. <laughs> I'm just going to eat them every single day. It's not even a joke. And then is there anything of Cuban culture that you wish was more just common in, you know, American culture? I think, like, the music, honestly... I think that feels so iconic to me. And like, even when I was in Cuba, that was something that felt so rich while I was there. And I feel like even when I go to other cities, like things like New Orleans, I think like hearing music in the street and seeing people singing and dancing, it feels so like, it feels so like a beautiful life, you know? And I wish that was like, like if I could bring one thing to Philly here, I wish that would be here. I wish I could bring it. I totally get you. I do think like, let's say white American culture is quite mm-hmm. reserved in terms of music generally. And it's like, so boring. It's, kind of, it's pretty boring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or it's like, and then if you do it, you're like kind of pushing everyone out of their comfort mm-hmm. zone. So it's I definitely, sal. yeah, a hundred percent. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me as a busy artist. I know you are. So thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Of course, this was so much fun. I feel like we were just like hanging out. So this made me really happy. It was definitely something I was looking forward to in my day. Yay! 
All right, everyone, that's all I have for you today. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Cuban-Egyptian street artist Simone Salib. Go follow her over at Simone Salib Studio on Instagram. Of course, I'm going to leave it in the show notes for you to go check out. Now, before you go, don't, don't exit out just yet because remember that I really need you to hit subscribe or share this episode with a friend, especially on YouTube. Those are two free things you can do to support the show. Now, if you want to listen to a personal podcast for me about what I'm up to in my career or listen to extended episodes of the show, go ahead and check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash draws in Spanish to support the show so I can keep making it for you. Lastly, just another reminder that if you want to join the Discord to connect with other listeners and me, head over to drawsinspanish.com slash chat to join. Okay, that's all for now. That's really it. Thank you so much for listening. Hasta la próxima, amigos. Nos vemos el próximo martes. Chao.